way it happens, I don't play an instrument. I don't play an instrument. I don't know what key I'm singing. I don't know what anything. It's like I think, bubble gum, bubble gum, bubble. You know, and it's like it comes out my head. You know, I I I don't know where it comes from. I mean, people say, hey man, you're the prince of darkness and you worship Christ and the devil backwards and all this. I don't I don't even think about it. I just get on with it. You know. Yes, sir. Welcome to Sabbath Bloody Podcast of a Madman. My name is Ryan. I'm going over the mountain here, drinking some silver bullets here. As we go to the next evolution of our madman. You know, gotta have some silver bullets on hand just in case the werewolves appear. I know, I'm a fucking dork. Hope you're all doing well. It's Wednesday. Really the worst day of the week, right? Regardless of if you're working from home or not. Hopefully you can escape with me for the next half hour here and immerse yourself into a better decade than the fucking 20s have been so far. (laughs) Back to the campy, carefree 80s, right? They didn't have to worry about any viruses back then, did they? Yeah, moving on. Are you having a good summer? (laughs) I've got some vacation planned here, just some cottage country lakeside shit next week. Nothing outside of my safe zone for spreading and catching the disease, but don't worry about that, lads. But at least I'm able to break free a little. Hope you are too. And, uh, you know, don't worry about it. You'll be none the wiser when I release another episode next week. I'll record it ahead of time so you won't even notice I'm away. So let's get rolling with today's installment, though, first. Big shout out. I guess a bark at the moon to the Deep Dive Podcast Network, Skinner Reconsidered. Deep Purple Podcast and T-Bones Prime Cuts. You know those lads by now. If you don't, go listen. Alright, let's crack on as we journey to the center of eternity with Ozzy Osbourne. Before we get into 83 proper here, there were a couple of big things that happened at the tail end of 1982 that I purposely wanted to save for today. I mean, let's be honest, that episode was loaded enough with the death of Randy Rhodes and all the immediate fallout after that. So going back to late December of the previous year, during the last mini-tour of the Speak of the Devil cycle, we had Brad Gillis and Pete Way both flying high with Ozzy, Ulrich, and Bridgewater. And at this time, Ozzy was already planning ahead for the next incarnation of the band. He had formed kind of a farm team of sorts, some understudies waiting behind the castle gate there, the diary stage set. Like, literally, the stage was a fucking castle. And there were guitarists on the payroll standing back there waiting for their chance to get entrails tossed at them and (laughs) Ozzy to come up and yank on their hair. Dream gig, right? (laughs) While Pete Way was still filling in for Rudy Sarzo, jumping ship, another madman bassist was also being groomed to take over the slot once they returned to America. Mr. Don Costa. Now, both Costa and Pete Way were legit maniacs by the sounds of it. I mean, I've heard some stories, so Ozzy has a type in that bass slot for sure. I think it was Costa, or I might be mistaken here, it could have been Way even, but I've heard that one of them used to have a cheese grater on the back of his bass, and he'd pull like a WWF wrestler move and cut his knuckles up and bleed all over the bass for extra shock effect like no pussy gene simmons faking it here like legit blood 
And you wonder why there was an AIDS epidemic in the 80s, right? <laughs> Fucking maniacs. Anyway, Don Costa would end up making the A-team here soon enough. He had the look and the chops and a flair for stage antics. And Pete Way, he was going back to his own project anyway, Wasted, whom I mentioned last week, a killer band. They actually end up opening for Ozzy on this next cycle too, so Pete and Oz were on good terms then. And who cares about the bass players anyway, <laughs> besides me, right? What's going on in the guitar slot, man? Is Brad Gillis our next Randy yet? <laughs> well, no, he wasn't. In fact, Gillis had already made it clear that he was done with Ozzy after the speak cycle. And because he gave his proper notice, Ozzy was able to make a call-up from his AA affiliate I was talking about there. A guy they had been grooming on his side. And if you recall, from back in the day, on this age-old podcast of a madman, a whole goddamn month ago, on the debut episode, we mentioned that Ozzy had a talent scout in the L.A. scene by the name of Dana Strum, a bassist that hooked him up with Randy Rhodes. So, of course, after that amazing draft pick, Ozzy naturally thinks, fuck it, let's give Dana another call, see who else he has on his radar. He gives Ozzy and Sharon a short list of shredders that he knows. Hopefully Dana got paid like a sick finder's fee for all this charity work that he's doing for Ozzy and since 1979. One of the names in Strum's 10 here was, of course, Mr. Fucking Scary himself, George Lynch. Now, we already know George Lynch. He was actually the runner-up to Randy for the initial L.A. guitarist prospects back in 79 when Ozzy started the Blizzard of Oz. And George Lynch actually took over Randy's duties teaching the students in L.A. while Randy was touring. So, big connection with Lynch, as always. And given that history, they bring him on. No problem, right? So here's what George has to say about working with Ozzy. No, I never played a show. I played sound checks. <laughs> okay. So to see kind of what I would do, they I would travel with the band to kind of see how everything worked, and they would get to know me and that kind of thing. The touring was, was in Scotland and England and Ireland. I had quit my job. We had two little kids. We had an apartment. We didn't really have much money. And so it was a great opportunity for me. It was a good union job. And so I made enough money to support us. And I had to quit that job to go do the Aussie thing. So, okay, I'm kind of mid-clip here with Lynch's story. But that's essentially how blindsided he was. It was a very brief tenure as an understudy. Always the bridesmaid, never the bride. Mr. George Lynch. (laughs) He was under the impression that it was a lock for him to be the next Aussie guitarist. But then suddenly, Lynch is fired without even playing a proper show. When they fired me like that, uh, and they didn't pay me, and they didn't give me any compensation, they didn't ask me if I was okay or anything, they just didn't care. They just said, it was literally like, it took like a minute. Aussie just said, you know, uh, hey, you know, it's not going to be working out. Thanks a lot for your time, and see you later. Bye. Brutal, huh? (laughs) But even more brutal than that, when you hear the story from the next guy to take over here, because they go with another name from the Strum's top ten here. Dana's Angels. <laughs> After Randy's death, I got a call again from Ozzy and Sharon saying, listen, would you please go through this again? And We can't find a guy, would you? You seem to do it the first time. Would you please find a guy for us again? I went to the Troubadour, and at the Troubadour, I saw a guy named Jake Williams. 
Uh, Jake Williams, of course, became Jakey Lee. Then I went and introduced myself, and I said, I don't know if you know who I am. My name's Dana. And he says, yeah, you put Randy Rhodes in. I said, yes. Well, I'm looking again. And he said, really? I said, there's going to be some auditions that I hold. This time, Ozzy won't be present, but I'm going to tape record them. And if they like the tape and like the vibe of the tape and what you play, uh, there's going to be a formal audition where you play with Tommy Aldridge and uh, Bob Daisley or whomever it may be. And there that was. Uh, Jake later showed up for this audition, and uh, he did a he did a great tape. And I brought the tape, and you guys can uh, let the world hear something that nobody's ever heard before, which was the way Jake got the gig. Perhaps. My favorite Aussie gunslinger of all time. That's my lane, though. I'm sticking to it. I know the cult of Randy Rhodes is collectively gasping at me saying that I like Jakey and Zach both better than Randy, but that's me. I'm a Jakey guy. I think there was ten guitarists that Dana uh, lined up. The ten best in L.A. Or the ten best that might suit Ozzy anyway. Yeah, he just he, he, he had each of us come in, and it was very loose. It was uh, He took a Polaroid. Hmm. There is your picture. And you say, okay, put a mic in front of the cab. Say, play something fast. All right. Okay, play something uh, ballad-like, like a slow ballad. And then now just play some whatever you want to play. And we had like a, uh, maybe five minutes once it was condensed down to about five minutes of playing time. And he sent all of them to Ozzy and... I just did it because I, I really had nothing else to do. He sent the ten of them, and uh, he got Lynch. He, he picked Lynch first. But I guess uh, there was just something that uh, Ozzy wasn't absolutely thrilled about with him, and he wanted to try out two more guys, me and uh, Mitch Perry, who was Mitch Brownstein at the time. Mm. And uh, he had us come down to SIR, and we auditioned, and... Yeah, I just out, it, it was out of the blue. I mean, I, I was sure I didn't have that gig. I wasn't even sure if I wanted it, but once I was offered it, I decided I did. <laughs> so Jakey is given the spot with very little auditioning taking place. He just kind of has the fucking look from the get-go. So Sharon, I guess, fancies him and <laughs> just gives him the gig. Ozzy has zero sex appeal at this point. So getting a young Jake in there, in her eyes, is a big upgrade, you know? Get them... Heavy metal tiger beat equivalent magazines <laughs> wanting snaps of the band. Like the metal hammer Kerrangs. That's essentially what they wore in the 80s. Bump out that Bon Jovi's and the Kip Wingers. <laughs> Jake also says that Ozzy fired Lynch right in front of him when offering the spot. So just absolutely ruthless Ozzy here in this era. So this new lineup though, it's solidified over the Christmas holidays. And January 12th, 1983 in Helsinki... Finland, the Jake E. Lee era begins. It's Ozzy, Jake E. Lee, Tommy Arich, and the Dons, Costa and Ari. Don Ari's schedule actually cleared up enough that he could reconvene here with Ozzy, too. So that's an upgrade in the keys. I don't know what you would call this little tour cycle. Maybe the pre-Bark at the Moon warm-up tour, maybe? I guess it's technically still Speak of the Devil cycle, because they hadn't started recording the Bark at the Moon album at all. And the set list kind of stayed the same as it was with Gillis. We quickly get that Scandinavian Eastern Europe leg here to kick off things, which this might have actually been Lindsay Bridgewater's last cycle, if I'm not mistaken. So 
Hell, we should probably give him a toast, right? Sure, why not? Though he's not on any of the Aussie albums, as we found out. He's a big part of their live sound, so salute, Mr. Cambridge. I should be drinking fucking cognac or something, right? Something pretentious for him. But no, it's just good old-fashioned Coors Light today. Dad beers. <laughs> Sometimes that's all you want, son. When you're older, you'll understand. <laughs> After that little European swing that they did, they come back to the land of Coors to <laughs> show off Jakey, where it fucking counts, right? In the U.S. a fucking A. But before we get into that, let's check in with our old good friend, Ozzy here for a moment. Like, I feel like this rotating guitar and bass slot is distracting from the subject at hand, isn't it? So, the cue ball Ozzy is only a brief appearance. The hair starts to grow back in a little bit. He's able to ditch the wigs. He kind of goes from a Maynard James Keenan look to a train spotting Ewan McGregor, <laughs> then into like a straight Rod Stewart gold feathered mullet. He looks like absolute shit here for a couple of years, let's be honest. Like, the Aquanet and the sequence are flowing like goddamn water in the Madman's dressing room by the mid-80s. It's like RuPaul's Drag Race back there. <laughs> it really isn't until the 90s when he starts looking badass again, when he gets into that kind of, I don't know, Howard Stern kind of look. <laughs> looking like shit is kind of reflective of his inner state, too. Or maybe the glam was an overcompensation for how he was feeling inside as Ozzy starts having some real health problems on this tour. I know. What's new, right? It's fucking insane that this guy could go so hard for so many years and live to tell these stories. One gig in particular, in March, he had to leave mid-set. An overall nightmare of a gig, really, because before the show had begun, there was this big-time picketing going on outside. Not uncommon of the time, but... Ozzy had pretty much had a heart attack on stage, and he needed to be evacuated. So, so you add that hostile picketing group that was outside to that, like, just a dicey situation right here. Like, think about that a moment. If Ozzy fans are pissed about not seeing the full show from him, and then they go out and some fucking Jesus freak starts yelling at them once they start their walk of shame home, we actually have some audio of that concert here. The public address that was made after Ozzy nearly collapsed on stage and was taken out. Rockford, Illinois, March 22nd, 1983. So, very close to the anniversary of Randy's death here, too, isn't it? Eerie. Hey, I want your attention, please, just for a second. Thank you. You've just seen a great concert by a great performer. Half the concert, listen to me, half the concert, Ozzy was performing this great show with chest pains. We have just, we've just evacuated him to a Rockford hospital where he's going to be taken care of the Rockford way. Now there's a bunch of adult jerks in this town that would want us not to bring people like Ozzy back. And they're waiting for an incident to happen. You know what we're going to do? We're going to clap. We're going to keep the energy of this concert going, and we're not going to give them a cause for keeping entertainment like this in Rockford. Fucking Eddie is a fucking stud. I love the cheap pops that he's getting from the Rockford audience. Ozzy's going to be looked after in the hospital the Rockford, Illinois way. <laughs> I found this clip hilarious anyway. Unfortunately, these kind of moments 
are becoming all too common for Ozzy. Collapsing on stage, the canceled gigs. And there are some freak accidents, too, that caused cancellations during this tour later on. During the filming of the video for the Bark of the Moon single called So Tired, a shard of glass from a shattering mirror gimmick that they were filming got lodged in Osborne's throat. And an inch further, they say it would have, like, done a number on his vocal box, so... You know, some scheduled concert dates were canceled because of that incident. But Ozzy makes a quick recovery, though. But it just adds to the overall frustration that he's having and the dips into his own addiction cycles. And he really takes it out on those around him. It's hard to pin down when Ozzy is sober or he's on the piss just by interviews. Because, let's be honest, he does sound like he's on the piss all the time. And Also, he's going into these like depressive states as well. One could assume that they're like a drug coma, but it also could just be the come down, you know? And then the absolute madman flurries that are reported too. Like Ozzy's a legit schizo. It's beyond like, oh, he's a nutter, that Ozzy guy. He's actually diagnosed with a lot of legit mental issues, people. It's pretty much stated though, at this time, his mental health in the 80s was the most erratic it was. A lot of things were misdiagnosed back then and doctors were just kind of feeding him pills. That did nothing but make him worse. Jakey tells us a story here about a specific moment, uh, the meltdown that he had with bassist Don Costa. And this was just days before a giant scheduled festival date that they had, which we'll get into right after the infamous Us Festival. But here's Jakey talking about Don Costa's firing. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, well, I think the worst one was when he fired Don Costa who was the bass player when I joined the band. Um, and he was, he was only in it for maybe three months or something. And then one day, Don got called to the back of the bus uh, by Ozzy. And maybe three minutes later, Don c- came running out of the back, holding his face, and there was blood all over his face. And, and, and he ran off the bus. I I was like, holy shit. And I walked back and I saw Ozzy and he just looked at me and and I said, what happened? And he said, he tried to kiss me. <laughs> he said, wait a minute. <laughs> You're telling me the bass player just went to the back of the bus and tried to kiss you and said, yeah, that's my story. So I went out and I, I asked Don what happened. And he said, I don't know. I just went back there. Ozzy said he had something to say. And he said, he said, come closer, come closer. And as soon as I got close enough, he headbutted me in the nose. <laughs> I was like, well, shit. I was like, oh, shit, dude. I think he just got fired. Because, you know, basically Ozzy assaulted him. Um, he, uh, uh, I talked to Don and he said they worked it all out. He signed a, he signed an agreement that he would never press charges or anything. And then they spent, um, I think, five grand to have his nose fixed uh, through plastic surgery. I said, okay, but I, I, are, you're not in the band anymore. And he said, no, I'm still in the band. I said, really? So you're going to play the Us Festival? I said, yeah, they told me to show up to go out to the Us Festival. I was there, and I saw Bob Daisley there. And I was like, oh, what's, and I, I walked up to him. And I said, hi, uh, my name's Jake. You're Bob Daisley. Uh, what's going on? <laughs> and he said, oh, I'm playing bass for you now. I said, you are? 
I said, well, I don't think the other guy knows that. <laughs> and, and so then I saw Don pulling up, and I, I ran out to him, and I said, hey, what are you doing? And he said, I showed up for the gig. And he said, I brought my family with me. They're all coming, they're all coming to see me play. I was like, oh, shit. And I wasn't going to tell him, so I said, okay. And I walked away. There you have it. Jakey actually has a couple of good first-hand Aussie mood swing stories that I have queued up here. I'll save the other one that I have queued up for maybe next week. Jake's a fucking great interview, by the way. You should definitely check him out if he's ever on your favorite podcast or whatever. It's okay to laugh about these things because Ozzy did seek the help he needed. And I know that he's great inspiration for a lot of people to do the same. And by laughing at all these mad stories he had, I personally am not trying to be insensitive about mental health and all that. Just know that. Always keep your mental health in check, lads. (laughs) I should probably be doing the same when I'm doing this fucking podcast, right? I'm going to be an absolute loon by the time I get to, like, OzFest 2002. Anyway, let's stay in the calendar here. I'm totally sidetracked again. The Us Festival. That's putting us into May of 1983. With uh, Don Costa's dismissal there, his replacement... Well, it was kind of straight up spoiled there in that Jakey clip. Yes, folks, the triumphant return of my favorite Ozzy. (laughs) That's A-U-Z-Z-I-E. Bob Daisley back on board the crazy train again. Daisley had always been kind of waiting in the ranks. There's like a fucking Hell's Angels convention going on outside here. <laughs> I guess that's heavy metal, right? Maybe Halford's outside. Sorry about the ambience, though. Anyway, like I was saying, for Daisley coming back into the fold after all the drama that was around Blizzard and Diary, this meant that he came with conditions right from the get-go. Two of those conditions Bob stipulated heading into the sessions with Jakey was to be paid for the writing of the new songs and to also be paid for playing on the album up front. Other conditions that he stipulated was to get bonuses when the sales of the new record reached half a million and then a million and then so on and so on. You know, all the shit that didn't happen on Blizzard and Diary. And these terms are agreed on, or although it will be a point of contention in the future, but Bob comes on and of course, he already knows the set, like the back of his hand, so that aspect is pretty seamless. He plays the big US Festival gig with no rehearsals really needed. May 1983, let's drop in on a little taste of the set from the US Festival. How about a little over the mountain? We'll drop in on Jakey's solo too, so you can get this And his solo style is cool too. This same lineup after the festival then goes to New York and starts writing the next Ozzy offering. Bark at the Moon was the title that Ozzy came up with by most reports. He mentions it to the others. Both Jake and Bob kind of build off of that. And it sounds like Daisley really clicks with Jakey too. The only problem, which is nothing new in Ozzy's camp, was them getting credit for the songs after the fact. 
And Jakey talks about that side of things here in this clip. Going into the album, I asked, and uh, I was told I would get songwriting credit for anything I wrote, and I would get my fair share of publishing, and it was a given. Everything was going to be cool. Once I finished the final guitar track on the record, then magically the contract appears, and it <laughs> said, I wrote nothing, um, I I signing this contract means you can never say that you had anything to do with the okay. writing blah 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 um and i was you know i i said i i don't like that. i'm not signing this this is not what you promised and sharon told me that uh well you know they'll fly me back home and they'll get another guitar player to replace my tracks now that they're all finished and i can stand in line and sue them um which didn't seem like a good option. I wasn't smart in that I didn't get the contract first, but not signing that contract then meant that I was gonna be the asshole that is in Ozzy Osbourne for a minute and then sues him. You know, it, it, there's no way I would've looked good coming out of that. Yeah, so more of the same old hat there, really, for Ozzy and his personnel. Once Jake and Bob had enough songs together, though, it was back to the farm with Max Norman. Why fuck with that mojo, right? During the whole recording sessions for the album Bark at the Moon, there's another personnel change that happens, too. Tommy Ulrich's interest seems to kind of waver in the Jakey era, and he ends up being the next one to leave the Aussie camp, albeit temporarily, so we won't drink to the dead just yet, but... Ulrich is out, and they quickly lined up a proven skins beater to come in and work with what they had. Do some drum sounds, not retrack anything, but certainly put a sonic stamp on the album. The brother of Sab's legend, Vinny Apice, Mr. Carmine Apice. <laughs> it's funny, they're brothers, but they have different last names. That's weird, huh? That is Carmine Apice. Oh. Hey, wait, I thought it was like pronounced Apice or something like that. Technically, if it's the Italian pronunciation, it's Apice. Well, then why don't you go talk to him? Yeah, but don't mispronounce his name, man, because he'll hate that. Well, what am I going to call him? Mr. Apathy. You guys are no help. Here's Carmine to give us a little lowdown on the finishing touches layered on Bark at the Moon. I was brought in at the end. They, they hated what Tommy Aldridge did on the album. They tracked me down in France. They asked me if I wanted to join the band. So I was in France. I went to London to meet with them, Ozzy and Sharon, and I played with the band. I said, yeah, I'd love to do it, and I'd love to get involved. And they said, look, we want you to finish the album in New York with Ozzy, and and you can get an associate producer credit. And I went to New York, and with the engineer, uh, Tony John Bon Jovi, who's John Bon Jovi's cousin, we worked on the album, and, you know, we... Did some you know drum experimenting and you know to fix the drum sound and to make it better and try and get get it more in time and uh, and we finished the vocals with Ozzy. I hung out with Ozzy in the hotel and Sharon left him in my care, which is unbelievable, <laughs> you know. And and you know so that was my association. And I I did the first uh, the, the European tour. I did three months over there doing that, and then I did two months in America. So I did the first five months of the tour, Bulk at the Moon tour. Now again, if we're giving our own opinions, since I'm the only bloke in the room here, I'm not really into Carmine. Like, he seems a little less humble than his brother, who I fucking love. But Carmine's flavor is a little more 
Like, I don't know. I get that kind of pretentious drum clinic, fucking Mike Portney kind of sterile favor from him and his playing. Not what I like in a drummer, but hey, I digress. A piece is cool. <laughs> Just my taste here. So after a full summer of recording and then re-recording Bark, the official tour kicks off this year as well. As mentioned by a piece there, they do a European swing first, a couple months, and then it's over to the U.S. And the U.S. swing is when the infamous pairing of Ozzy and Motley Crue happens, so we'll save that for next episode. Oh, and also, on December 9th, 1983, Bark at the Moon is officially released to the masses, so they sneak that into this here. That's all I got there in the spreadsheet of Doom, anyway. You guys let me know if I missed anything that's noteworthy. I think we're keeping the show the right depth here, aren't we? Oh, I do have one note here that Amy Osborne was born to, like Sharon and Ozzy's first kid, but I don't know if I want to really get into the family shit that much. Like, when we get into the Osborne's MTV era, like 2005-ish shit, those will be tricky episodes to keep my attention, because I don't really give a fuck what his brat kids are doing and stuff. <laughs> We're deep diving the music, me in. <laughs> but we still have the glorious late 80s and 90s to plow through here first, so be sure to join me next week. And we'll be covering the motley part of this bark cycle. Oh, it's going to be fun. All right. So, leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. Really, lads, please do that. That's what keeps this show alive, honestly. The higher it ranks, the more engagement I get, and the more inclined I am to keep this shit going. So, help me out. Get in touch with me on the Twitter, at SabbathBloodyPC, and email me at SabbathBloodyPC. Podcast at gmail.com because Alright, I'll see ya. I'll see ya on the wild side. You wanna know about my last name? Mm-hmm. Everybody wants to know about that. You, oh, know? Yeah. you know it's Italians from Italian descent. A piche is the way you say in Italy. Mm-hmm. But in America, you say apice, like my brother Vinny. Yeah. When I was with Rod Stewart, we decided to say it one way, Carmine a piece, so it's a piece.